Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I am back in Canada. It's been a long trip and I'm really ready to get this show on the road. And helping me to do this is um, all the way from Siberia, Andrew Flint. Andrew, how's it going? We're separated again by several time zones, but you know, I hear you loud and clear and looking forward to get this pod done, I gotta. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of confusing trying to keep track of where we all are on this podcast, but uh, at least we're we're um, we're able to hear each other. Yeah, looking forward to this so so much. Um, I mean, Confederations Cup was was a great was an absolute blast. It was a great little interlude, but I, nothing for me replaces domestic league football. So can't wait for this. <laughs> yeah, uh, football is starting, and um, you know, Tim. Tim, we're, we're back together, aren't we? Back on the West Coast, just separated by a slum, small little waterway here. Um, how is it going, man? It's going very good. I'm very excited to, uh, first of all, to, to be, uh, for, to be the, the, you in the same time zone and then to do the preview, uh, podcast uh, for the season because the season, uh, technically starts uh, this weekend. Yeah, it is. It's coming thick and fast. Yeah, as always, if you guys don't know, um, my name is Manuel Weff. I've been a, been on the road for two months now and back in Canada. And um, let's get this on the road, right? And talk about the Russian Football Premier League, which is to kick off this weekend. So that's going to be a big chunk of this podcast. But before we do this, we have some paperwork, our regulation talk. Let's, uh, let's name it that. And, um, we talked about this already last week, didn't we, Tim? About the new foreign limitation rule. But it now looks like that this foreign limitation rule, which we believe was 10 plus 15, is actually going to be a bit more drastic. It's going to be 8 plus 17. Tell us what, what does this mean? And, um, you know, how did this uh, come about? Uh, well, this uh, they, there were talks about this type of uh, the limit, how they call it in Russia, uh, for years. And um, before that, the original limit was six plus five uh, in the starting, uh, pretty much on the field. So you would have a certain number of foreign players and a certain number of uh, Russian players. This six plus five was slightly different over the years, but that was the the whole concept that it was uh, it was based on the players on the field in the 
minute of uh, a match. Right now, their position, and sorry, and just to go back to that six plus five limit, that was dictated by the upcoming uh, 2018 World Cup in Russia because the vision from the um, the federation. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the vision was that to give more playing time to uh, Russian players to prepare them for the 2018 World Cup. That was the vision. There is quite a few people who disagree with that. There's uh, quite a few opinions why this uh, limit is not the ideal, but that was the the vision from the Russian Federation for the past I don't know how many years, quite a, quite a few years. That's the limit was has been around for a long time. And now there is transition uh, not uh, to a different format of that limit. Uh, right now there are talks. It's not official yet, but already Mutko spoke about it. Uh, pretty much all the head of the club spoke about it. So I think it's in discussion. It's pretty much they're waiting uh, for until September to announce it officially. Now the limit is changing not to the number of players on the field, but the number of foreign players in the whole squad. So it doesn't really matter how many people, uh, how many foreign players you would have uh, on the field, it just in general. And right now the talks are that the limit will be 8 plus 17, meaning that there should be 8 foreign players and 17 Russian players. Yeah. So that means that somehow, for example, like, you know, obviously support Spartak, and this is the team I know the most, we have right now 10 foreign players. So in terms of our transfer pol- policy, it will be hard for us to purchase this transfer window and next transfer window too many foreign players because next year we would have to let them go because we would need to, as of right now, to get rid of two players. So that adds a little bit of difficulty to the current transfer market, but the, the talks are that this will be the new limit. And this new limit is supposed to come in next season, not this season, next season, right? Next next season, yes. Yeah, Andrew, what do you think? Um, that's a lot tougher than we expected, isn't it? It is. The actual format of the limits, I agree with. the. I think, you know, we, we mentioned it last time, it makes more sense to take a bit more value off the Russians who will be in the starting lineup. Um, so by that, I mean the previous limit where five Russians were guaranteed to be in the lineup, it meant they were much more valuable and therefore they were, they were paid more and the motivation was less. So to make it... A squad limit, I think, is good, but eight plus seventeen, so only eight foreigners. That's pretty, pretty tough. That um, I mean, there's very few teams in the Russian Premier League that actually have fewer than eight foreigners. Um, I think, I think there's only about three or four teams that have fewer than eight. Um, so oh, I don't know. I mean, it's better than five plus six, but I think eight plus seventeen is a bit too steep. At the moment, realistically, what I think should happen is that um, they should change it to 10 plus 15. And then if they really want to move it to 8 plus 17, make it a season or two later, because it's quite a sh- quite a steep adjustment for teams to make. So, um, yeah, I just I just hope they're slightly sensible. But I hope when they announce it'll be 10 plus 15 first. And then if they want to change it to be slightly strict in the future, give clubs time to adjust. Yeah, it is. It is very tough. And just to go through it real quick. So. I have the, the squad list right in front of me and that's CSKA Moscow has a, have a squad of 19 players. They have four, they have five foreigners. Dynamo Moscow, they have a squad of 27 players. They have five foreigners. Um, Ufa with a squad of 25, they have eight foreigners. Arsenal Tula, squad of 19, they have seven foreigners. Newly promoted Tosno, squad of 26, have eight foreigners. 
Angie Machachkala with a squad of 26 have 7 foreigners and Ska Haparovsk have with a squad of 24 6 foreigners. So that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 7 out of these 16 teams are currently complying with the uh, regulation. If it w- would come in tomorrow, they would be the only 7 team, CS7 seven teams that would comply with this new ruling. And, uh, which mean, of course, that 19, nine teams have, uh, some work cut out for them until next season. And, you know, to, to look at those teams, say, Need St. Petersburg, for example, currently have 13. Spartak have 10. Krasnodar have 13. Ruben Kazan have 13. Lokomotiv have 11. Rostov have 12. Ahmad Grosny, still have to get used to that, 11. <laughs> um, Ural Ekaterinburg, your side. Andrew 11. And then, of course, yeah. you have, um, some that are, you know, borderline, like Amka Perm, that only have nine. But when you look at the really big ones, um, Zenit, Krasnodar, of course, stand out. The same with Ruben Kazan, teams that traditionally heavily relied on foreign players. Um, we'll get to your side in a moment, Tim, because that's a bit of a separate topic today. But, you know, those sides have a lot of work cut out for them. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, like the whole vision of that new format of the limit is that we should like the league should have the core of strong foreign players and the addition of, um, you know, lots of younger uh, like Russian players. But at the same time, I don't think like we I think you said the Amkar has eight or nine players. I don't think that the all nine Amkar foreigners are like the good quality foreign players. So it's I don't think it's really like what the vision is. It really um, aligns with what actually is happening, especially in the lower side of the table. But um, I at least I like that there is this different vision of this limit. I think it's more fair to Russian players in terms of, you know, just the, the, their value, the how much money they make, their motivation. So I think it, it's a good vision. I'm not sure about the, the exact numbers, but I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of this transition to that kind of uh, limit. Andrew, what do you envision is going to happen, though, over the next two transfer windows? Because let's say you're Zenit. You're sitting on five foreign players. Everyone on this planet knows that Zenit will have to sell these guys. Maybe even more than five because, you know, they will need wiggle room to adjust. We all seen Zenit's transfer policy dramatically change over this transfer window, bringing in Druizy and bringing in, of course, Paredes and likely bringing in one or two more guys, heavy, big money transfers. Now, um, that would mean that that number could quickly go to 14, 15, right? And then uh, you have to get rid of seven guys and the entire rest of the world knows that you have to get rid of those seven guys. I, I can see a club like Sanit not exactly being happy about this because you basically, you transfer um, the money that you can earn on these guys is thrown out of the window. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, the thing is, though, um, I, I'm with Tim on this one. I think the concept is is actually right. I mean, I'm not a fan of meddling too much artificially into, um, you know, too much on things like this. But I think something probably does, to be fair, need to be done. There are a lot of very, there are a lot of average foreigners uh, in the league. And okay, just uh, we'll take any squad then. I mean, I for a long time been 
surprised how Luis Nieto has even made a career as a footballer, yet alone at a top club. Um, but if you look sort of below his standard in the Zenit squad, you've got players like Mauricio, who they brought in from, well, now Akmas. Um, and he's just not, he doesn't add anything to the squad at all. Luka Djordjevic, he's now 23. He's been there. Um, he's been on loan. He's, he's, he doesn't add anything to the squad. Um, and I think it's a bit of a waste of time than, than being there at all. So the fact they've got a squad of 29, which is, which is already four over the actual uh, Premier League registration limit, um, is a bit idiotic in itself. But I'm sure we will see more out, outwards movement from Zanid. Um, so, yeah, I mean, over the next three windows, Manny, I think we're going to see a shift in policy probably. Russian players will still be prioritised and... Uh, I don't know. There's the part of me that doesn't like to see it happen artificially, but in one sense, however it happens, at least Russian players will be will be around. But Russian players don't leave Russia anyway very regularly, so I don't think it, it's almost needed for them. But I think the big, bigger benefit is getting rid of the um, lower-quality foreigners. So I think we'll probably see slightly less transfer dealing um, over the next few windows, and it may not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, Tim, how do you see that? I mean, that's, we will, will probably see clubs throwing away surplus material for almost next to nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I haven't thought of that from that angle. So, uh, like, that's actually a very good idea, man, of that. Really, like, if Zenit would have to get rid of, let's say, five players and the other clubs know that they would have to do that. So, of course, they will lower the price, like, uh, give us less money because you need to get rid of this player. So, actually, that's a very good point. And, but, uh, but at the same time, they have three windows, this one, the winter one, and the next summer ones. So, there's quite a few. And it's already, like, uh, there's already rumors that you, um, head of uh, transfers at uh, Zenit uh, Sarsania, he already said that they would like to get rid of uh, Mauricio, Molo. Uh, there's talks about Javi Garcia. Leaving, so I think they already started working in that direction and trying to get rid of uh, lower quality foreign players. They have three windows, but you're absolutely right. So right now, people know. Okay, so this is what's happening in Russian mm-hmm. football. People would get rid of foreign players, so how about we pay less? And it makes complete sense. So I think there might be some also loans involved. Uh, you, it's it's a really deep question because I'm pretty sure probably some players are running out of contracts in the next year. So it's it's a, it's a lot of work for transfer departments. And the other thing, uh, like what Andrew mentioned, is that Russian players do not go abroad right now. If right now their quality, and I mean in terms of just pure finance, in terms of their salaries, would go down, I think that might sh- that might change and the Russian players might start leaving uh, to play abroad because the only reason they don't leave is because they make so much money in Russia. So why would you go to a foreign land uh, where you would have to learn a different language and make less money? It doesn't really make sense. If they will be making less money here in Russia, then maybe they would uh, start looking more at the opportunities to play abroad, which is exciting. Yeah, although I, I wonder though, Tim, because, you know, having guaranteed a squad spot, we've seen that with the, the original limitation rule come in, that uh, one of the big problems was that Russian players have written in articles, now probably three years old, overvalued and overpriced. This will probably do it even more, right? Because all of a sudden, Russian clubs have to fill up these rooster spots, 17 spots in each squad have to be filled with Russian players. Which means that all of a sudden, you know, you will find a lot of Russian players um, getting salaries that are a lot higher than what they used to be. 
I think that will happen in the, like, you know, that will be in the immediate, in the next year. But once all the squads are compliant to the new rules, um, I think it will, it will be the opposite way because now the, you know, because like the whole talk is like, again, like it, this is just rumors, but the vision again is to, over the time to decrease the number of foreign players and really have just like maybe even going to five foreign players, but five really, really good quality players. So there will be, um, so the Russian players won't have a guaranteed spot in the uh, squad. So their value is relatively lower. So yeah, but you look at China where they're, where they're paying 10, 50 million euros for, you know, Chinese goalkeepers and Chinese defenders that you and I have never heard of. Because, you know, they have to fill in, what is it, 20 squad prices in China out of the, out of 25 have to be filled with Chinese players. So you, you know, basically guys that are not even fourth division level in Germany are making money that is more than what they would make ever. And an average Bundesliga player makes because of, you know, the inflated prices and the, the fact that clubs are forced to fill up the squad spots. So I'm just wondering about that, if that's really the right way to go. I mean, you know what I think, guys. Um, I think I think Tim has a point that there will be a shift if this is kept. But the point is, they they change their minds every two or three years anyway. It's just no clear, consistent policy. I mean, if they do finally settle on the squad limits, like we're talking about now, the ten plus fifteen or eight plus seventeen, if they stick with that, then I think actually Tim's I think Tim's probably going to be right because then it will come down to you know when we talk about the players moving abroad or not. It'll come down to what do they want to do on the pitch as opposed to as opposed to the, the, the money so much, I think, because, you know, they'll have, um, you know, they won't be so much competition once there are, you know, they'll have to prove themselves to actually get some playing time. Now, at the moment, with the five plus six, is the playing time they're guaranteed. And that's what I think makes them even more valuable. Whereas, you know, when it's, uh, if it's eight plus 17, they'll only necessarily, well, could only be possibly only three Russian players on the pitch. So they'll have to fight with each other for the places in the, in the starting lineup. Now, will they be happy just simply to have a wage and, not really make much effort for the starting lineup, or will they actually be hungry to play? Um, and I think we'll start to see perhaps not a massive shift, but a, at least a, a bigger shift in, at the moment towards players starting to go abroad. And you know, the, the one other thing I would add to that, guys, is that you know, we always mention this that there are very few Russians abroad. There are actually a lot more than I realized who, but particularly youngsters that I've noticed. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially in Portugal and some Eastern European leagues. And I'm starting to think, and um, Vyacheslav Karadayev in Czech Republic, he got the, I, think, I believe he was, if not player of the season, and he got in the, the no, Czech player. Premier League. Yeah, um, in the Spartan player, player of the year. Yeah, in the, in the squad. Well, yeah. well, there, there you go, you know, and, you know, he's a slightly rare example that he's got through to the first team and he looks pretty settled and probably will stay there for a bit. Um, I think we might start to see a start, you know, I'd say a drip effect towards that. It might take a few years, but, um, and I think in the end, that's what, if anything, is going to benefit the Russian national team, get more experience and other footballing cultures. Yeah, well, that's, that's something that remains to be seen. I'm, uh, 
on the fence on this one. I just, you yeah, know, I, I, I can hear it in your voice. You're not really happy I'm just looking at the Chinese model and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, there is, there is also positive examples. Japan, for example, managed to do it with a uh, strict limitation and then it's a, it's a league that's thriving and um, producing a young, lot of young talent. Of course, the Japanese clubs, um, they, they build their, football along the same ways than Germany did, um, you know, a pyramid with four or five divisions now and teams forced to have academies and uh, every club has very good infrastructure and facilities. So they you know they are able to produce the likes of Jinji Kagawa, but we'll see. I mean, maybe this will, this will be a step in the right direction. I think it's, it's definitely better than, than having six, uh, five Russians on the field at all time. And, um, so that's already improvement, but you know, time will tell. And I, I'm curious to see how this will affect transfer policy. And I mean, one of the clubs that um, we have followed quite closely is Tim's club, Spartak, and uh, they are one of the teams that have done almost nothing on in this transfer window. Um, very, very, very little activity. And Trim, um, are you worried about that at all? Because I mean, you, after all, you are the defending Russian champion and it, it was a very strong squad last season. But, uh, you know, right now there seems to be Senator spending tons of money on an Argentine forward, spending tons of money on an Argentine midfielder and, you know, could spend even more money considering, you know, their financial power. And Spartak have, have lost Roman Sopnin to an injury. And there is some doubt about the Sedataski's fitness as well. Uh, talk us through it. What's happening? Are you worried at all? And do you think there's going to be some business before, or at least until, you know, August 30th? I would say that I'm maybe, I'm not slight, I'm maybe very little bit worried because I understand where it's coming from. Uh, the first uh, explanation which I heard, and I don't know actually how it's true, and I just maybe ask your opinion, guys. I heard that because of the financial fair play, Spartak didn't do any transfers before July 1st. Do you know if, if the cutoff is the July 1st for the financial fair play? Is that correct? It starts every year July 1st. So that's like okay. the, full, the full business window. Okay, so that, that's, that stays true because that's what, that's what I heard and that, that's why they didn't do any transfers. The only transfer we've done so far, it's the Serbian uh, defender Marko Petkovic. Um, and they signed him after July 1st. And now I think with that talk of the change of the limit, uh, Spartak really would have to see and understand and pretty much plan their transfer policies for the next even four or five windows. Because like, like as we discussed, we have 10 foreign players as of right now. So to be compliant, we need to get rid of two. And then also there have been talks about adding a couple of uh, foreign players right now. So they really, really, really would have to see and uh, understand how the contracts would work, who will be out of contract to the next year, and who to bring to make sure that we are compliant for the next season. Um, from what I understand, there were there were talks about, there's, there's been a big talk about further small of um, future, and there are pretty much four main options uh, going to Spartak, going to Zenit, staying at Krasnodar, and going to Europe. And it's nobody knows what's going on, but that was one of the options for Spartak. And there's also a couple of other players which they've been looking at. It's mainly attacking middle fields and mainly center defenders they're looking at. And those players are, um, all of them are foreigners. 
So they, they've been talking about the Croatian player. His name is Padel. They've been talking about a couple of, like there was a Cameroonian player, Mukanjo. There's a couple of players that, you know, it's just rumors. Nobody knows if that's true or not. From what I understand, it's it's all, you know, it's all agreed with Carrera because he understands that the transfer policy is changing. But at the same time, we're really running out of time because the Champions League starts relatively soon and they need to bring a couple of players uh, before the season. Uh, just to give you a comparison, uh, when the last transfer window was happening in the winter, for, for the first training session, uh, Carrera already had four new players. So it's a definitely the shift and change. So just to answer you, uh, to summarize, I think couple of reasons why Spartak is so slow on the transfer window is the financial fair play plus the changing um, uh, limits uh, system. Yeah, 21 players in the squad right now, that's definitely not enough if you're competing in no. the Champions Three. League, the Russian Cup and the Russian Football Premier League. That's uh, thin, I'd say, at the least. Even if you bring in a few youth players from the very good academy, that's not a lot. I mean, bringing in someone like Smolov, of course, that would be an enormous signing. But I think when you look at the, the players that they have up front, that's that's the least of the worry almost, isn't it? Um, players playing up front, they're quite strong there. Yes and no, because the quality-wise, uh, I agree. Like, so Luis, Luis Adriano, Quincy Promise, they're great. But Luis Adriano, he played only a few games last season um, because mm. he was injured most of the time. Zaluish also had an injury. Um, Promise is made of steel, so there's no there's no worries there. But at the same time, when like you're absolutely correct, when Mel Garejo was playing instead of Zaluish or Luis Adriano, there was a slight lose of quality there. So he he's working hard, but it's definitely not the same quality. Melgarejo is Zaluish or Luis Adriano. So I agree with you that. You know, just number-wise, we're looking at the 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 the, the forwards. There's two: Zeluish and Luis Adriano. So I agree with you, and I think uh, definitely before the end of the transfer window, we will see at least two players added to the squad. Andrew, of course, one way to fix the financial fair play for Spartak would be to sell Quincy Promise to. Uh, I'm just going to throw that out here, Liverpool. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the rumor was... The... Don't do that. That's, that, that's, that's cruel of you. That's cruel, man. <laughs> well, they're, uh, the, I mean... they're the ones that always seem to be linked to everyone. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's been a rumor that existed last winter. And uh, I remember I said that was not going to happen because, you know, they won't, they wanted to really win the title. And uh, there was an exit clause of 50 million euros, I believe. But uh, we know how Russian owners, uh, what they think about exit clauses is something different than what we think about exit clauses in Europe. So there was that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, that would be in one swoop all the financial fair play problems gone. Right, Andrew? Well, you know what? I think... um I was looking at the squad, and I agree with you guys. It's a bit, a bit thin as a as a whole squad. You didn't mention twenty one players, but Quincy Promise keeping him is almost, I would say, almost enough for the transfer window. I wouldn't do a huge amount more um, because the first team um, plus the next, say, four or five subs are just absolutely locked down for me. They're the best, um, best starting lineup for me in the league. But I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of reinforcement is needed. And Quincy, 
from is you sell him and it does completely change the complexion of that starting lineup. I think, if anything, though, the main beneficiary would probably be um, Jano Ananidze. I've been a massive, massive fan of his, but he just doesn't seem to quite get into that starting lineup, um, which is a shame because he's such a talented player. Now, if if he could, if he could get the best out of him and keep Quincy, uh, and then have Zé Luis would be my first choice. Luis Adriano is not convinced me of his fitness, although it's good to have a player with his experience in the squad. Um, then, like you mentioned, money attacking options. They're, they're locked down. Now, if they did sell him and they had in any way admitted it was just simply to satisfy financial fair play um, or at least give them leeway so that they could then go and spend more, I'd say that would be a massive disappointment. If it was a, if it was a case of Quincy Promise saying, look, I've done, I've done what I came to do. I've won you the title. Now I want my move to Europe. Then in the end, you'd have to say, well, fair enough. He did stick around longer than most foreigners did, but I think the club should do everything in their power to keep him. It's just, it's not worth the money. They, they're not going to be able to get a Quincy Promise quality player in for anything less than silly money. So what would be the point to sell him in the first place, in my opinion? I really, really... Promise already said that he's staying. Like, I think, mm. I think, uh, like he said, I'm staying for the Champions League and I think he will stay for another year. Um, yeah, he pretty much said himself that no, there's no way yeah. I'm, I'm leaving. So I think I think it's it's not not nothing to worry about for us. For no, course, I, I, of course, some would say that's negotiation tactics. <laughs> I hope not. I really do. <laughs> there's something about promise though. He's not. He's never really made a lot of noises about wanting to leave. And you know, I mean, he could have dropped hints now and again, or his agent could have done whatever. I I, I mm. do think he'll stay this season. Although you know, you mentioned where he might end up, Manu. I mean. Uh, in the in the English Premier League, his pace and his and his fitness, which are both very very strong things, would would make him a would make him a good fit for a lot of clubs. And you know he can play in a four three three. He can play in a four two three one out wide through the centre. He's very versatile. Uh, well, basically, he's a good fit for a lot of clubs. And you know, for you say for fifty million, I know this sounds utterly ridiculous, but in today's Bizarre, inflated transfer market. Fifty million for a player of Quincy Promise's quality is basically a bargain, I would say. Um, so, if Spartak can hold on to him at least for another season, then um, you know who knows. Yeah, I mean, this will be an interesting one to follow. I personally, my gut feeling says he's going to stay, and um, that's just where I see him for the next season. And then, you know, he can show himself in the Champions League and he can still make a decision from there. But before he does play in the Champions League, um, the season kicks off this weekend and it does kick off with the Russian Super Cup between Lokomotiv Moscow, the, the cup winner, and Spartak Moscow. And Tim, you must be really looking forward to have the action back on on the way. Absolutely, I can't wait. I'm, I've been counting minutes to 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 the match, and for Spartak takes this game very very serious because, as you all know, and the fans of Russian football know, we didn't have trophies since 2003, and that was the first trophy in how many 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 years. So any game which could give us trophy 
is a big one, and I'm pretty sure that the, the team takes it very seriously. Even the, um, Miranchuk, who plays for Lokomotiv, he said that when he was in the national team, he saw that how serious uh, Spartak players were uh, for the Super Cup. They were joking around and say, hey, get ready, because we, we're getting serious about this Super Cup game. So you, Lokomotiv, you should uh, get, get ready for us. And... Um, it's a little bit tough with Spartak right now because five players who were involved in Confederations Cup joined the team just about a week ago. They've been training with the team, but really they started way later than the whole squad. So they're, they, I wouldn't say they're out of form because they've been training with Confederations Cup and they said that, for example, I think Goshakov and Kambarov, they had five days of uh, vacation, quote, to quote, because mm-hmm. like really, they had only five days without training. So Kambarov said, "I can't really lose all the form because I really haven't been training for only five days." Uh, but um, that's a little because, like for example, the last uh, uh, Spartak played three only three friendly matches. They uh, won two of those and drew one. And in the last game, Kloshakov, for example, only played forty-five minutes. So I'm not sure if he would last the whole 90 minutes uh, in the Super Cup game, also given that it might be, uh, it's a cup final, so it might be one two, uh, 120 minutes game. So that's a little bit what I'm worried about. Overall, I think it will be a great game. It sounds like it's going to be sold out. It's uh, Friday night, so it will be a proper football occasion, a great way to start the season, and I really hope that we will walk away with another trophy. Yeah, it's interesting that this uh, Russian Super Cup final is actually the opener of match day one right and then Spartak play their the first match day later next week um usually in the rest of europe you would see the russians the super cup played sometimes in early august and then the league all the most of the leagues kick off in mid to late august but because of course the way the russian football premier league is played with that really big break in the winter because of the very very tough russian winter means that the the league season kicks off really early it's uh probably one of the, er- the maybe even the earliest uh, kickoff of all the major european leagues um which makes this interesting but another interesting aspect and andrew you have a bit more about this is the fact that spartak moscow are nominally the home team for this final but the game is actually played at the locomotive um tell us a bit what's happening there well, yeah, I, this for me is a bit of an odd one, really, because I'm I, I'm torn between where the Super Cup ought to be staged. Logically, you've got two Moscow teams to so have it in Moscow. OK, I, I get that. And it, it will guarantee a lot of fans there. Spartak, I've, I understand, have sold out their allocation, which, yeah. given that the attendance of Locomotive Stadium is about what, 25,000, 26,000, that's, you know, that's already going to be guaranteed somewhere close to 20,000 in the ground. So um, that's if that figure is reliable. So I I think it probably will be. Um, I mean, personally, there's another part of me that likes to see these showpiece games. I actually quite like to see them moved around the country, not too much, not to really inaccessible cities. Like off the top of my head, the Russian Cup final two years ago in Astrakhan, was a very odd decision because it's you know not going to be a World Cup venue. It's it's not a, a a huge World Cup city and it's difficult to get to. That's odd. But you know I went to the Russian Cup final this year in in Sochi and I thought that was a great decision because it was a fantastic venue. It's all set up. Um, unfortunately, it just there just weren't very many fans there at all. But um, but you know it's, it gives the rest of the country a chance to see see an occasion. Um, so for this game on Friday. Uh, at Locomotive Stadium, which is not the easiest to get to. 
Um, it's it's not on. Uh, well, it's, it's not my favourite ground to get to in Moscow. I'm just going to leave it at that, really. <laughs> but um, the fact that it's yeah, it's it's a neutral game at one of the teams' stadiums. I I don't I don't agree with that personally. I think it ought to be at a different Moscow stadium, if they're going to hold it in Moscow at all. But but anyhow, look, let's let's stick to the positives. This, like Tim says, it's a, it's a big opening to the season. And, you know, the games are coming thick and fast now. So um, my only question is how seriously Carrera himself is going to take this game. Um, I can totally understand why Sparta players are desperate to get another trophy under their belt. But Carrera, for me, is, if anything, a pragmatist. And there's going to be a midweek round of games in week five, I think it is, which is not long away. Um, so will he, you know, rotate the side a little bit? I'm sure he probably will. But I, I think Spartak are, are, are strong enough to win this one. So I think, Tim, you might be celebrating again come Friday. Oh, oh I can't wait. Yeah, well, tell us about it, Tim. What do you make of this? First of all, the the fact that this game is, despite you being the home team, is an away game. Um, what do you think? You guys should be favorite going into this game. Um, yeah, to be quite honest, I don't know uh, why it was Locomotive Stadium was chosen. I think um, there is a big concert of a big, big, big band called Leningrad. That's uh, even the guys might mm. even heard of them. Yeah. That's like probably one of the biggest rock band in in Russia right now, and they are playing a big. 20-year anniversary show at the Atkretia Arena, and this show was booked like months ago because they've been selling tickets. And as of right now, I, I believe there are 40,000 tickets sold to that show with a capacity of 45,000. So uh, that sh that show is that week. So I don't think you know they can play um, a Super Cup game at the Atkretia Arena. For, uh, I, another good venue would have been Tsuka um, Stadium, but I think for obvious reasons, you know, like they they're not gonna like you know Spartak probably doesn't want really to play there. So I think the Lokomotiv Stadium was just one of the you know easy solution. Uh, I don't think like I slightly disagree with you, Andrew. Like maybe I think it's a good idea to have maybe a cup final away from um, from Moscow just to, you know, to showcase, for example, yeah, with the, all the new stadiums open up for the World Cup. But maybe for, like, you know, a Super Cup game when it's just pretty much a uh, show show game and when you have two Moscow teams just to maximize the number of people who would attend the game, it's a good idea mm -hmm. to have it in, in Moscow. And it looks like Lokomotiv Stadium is the only option based on everything what's going on with uh, stadiums and in Moscow right now. No, there's always uh, Kimki. <laughs> your favorite. Oh, God. Oh, Kimki. I had always managed to forget about that venue until you mentioned that, Manny. I, I mean, I, yeah, actually, to be fair to you, Tim, I, I understand your reasoning on that one, actually. If um, anything that will encourage a big a big attendance uh, for any game, league cup, anything is is worth going, but is worth pursuing. So I guess in that sense, fair enough. We've given it as two Moscow teams, but I, I still think the VEB Arena would have been um, the venue they should have chosen because it's yeah. I mean, at least one team is going to be in a stadium of a team I don't like, so they might as well make it a, a genuinely level playing field. And it's um, it's such a, such a brilliant stadium, the VEB Arena. I really am a massive fan of it. But anyhow, look, the, the point is, it, it is where it is. And in the end, uh, I think the fact that it's going to be a packed out Moscow derby is, is, is only good, only a good thing. You know, I do think, though, that this game is probably going to be more or less a home game for Spartak. 
despite the fact that it is at the locomotive, because you already said the allocation. Um, we've discussed locomotive has always been the weak link in the in the chain of Moscow clubs because it's the the team that has the least amount of or traditionally always had the least amount of support of all the big Moscow clubs, right? So I would I would assume that Spartak actually have more or less a home game there because you know they sold out their all their allocation and um knowing Russians they will have found a way to get the re- get the hold of all the other tickets as well so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Spartak fans will be the vast majority in that game yeah every time we play them away it's like a home game so yeah they don't have enough fans to feel even their their Firing shots, Thurton. <laughs> I'm very biased. I'm on this spot. I'm very open. I'm very biased. <laughs> you see, Tim, Tim, that's the difference between you and me. You actually admit that you're biased. I try and cover it up, but I am violently biased towards it all. So, um, yeah, fair enough. Fair play well, to you, at least you admit it. <laughs> well, if Manu invites me to Gagin Pressing, I, I promise to be um, neutral and, like, you know, fair. In this spot, no way. I said I'm red and white, and I'm absolutely biased on this spot. Yeah, that's yeah, ab- absolutely okay. Oh, uh, you will have to. Your bias, of course, is going to shine through. Um, the the league, uh, the Russian Cup, kicks off the season, and the actual league play starts on Saturday. So we'll get the Russian Cup, the opener of the Russian uh, league, on Friday. We'll have a preview for you on that on footballgrad.com. And then the league kicks off straight away on Saturday, July 15th with the, with Ural Rostov. I assume, Andrew, you're there. Uh, Anshi Machachkala against CSKA Moscow, Tosno, the one of the first, one of the two promoted signs against Ufa. Then Sunday, Ska Haborovsk hosts Senate. We'll talk about that in a second. Tarek against Amkapuram, Ruben Kazan against Krasnodar. And then, of course, we mentioned because of Loco and Spartak being involved on Friday, they will hold their league games on Tuesday. Lokomotiv uh, playing Arsenal Tula. And we'll get a Moscow derby on match day one. Dinamo against Spartak Moscow. Dinamo, of course, one of the other promoted, one of the other three promoted sides. Guys, that's going to be exciting. I mean, uh, t- Andrew, you're, you're going to Yekaterinburg on yes. Saturday. You will be seeing Rostov. Um, so I think that will probably be your game to watch. But in general, tell us, what are you making of this match day one? Um, it's really early in the season. Russian football is really odd that yeah. the first few games are almost still like friendly <coughs> preparation games because of the weird nature of the league. So we'll, we'll see some really weird results there, I think, won't we? I mean, don't don't forget. Of course, if there's next summer to think about. That's made it earlier, even earlier than usual. So that's an added reason why we're we're starting quite this early. But I think it's um, I think it's a really interesting first match day because you could pick any of about about three or four matches for match of the round. The Moscow derby stands out. That's going to be fantastic. And I think because even despite how utterly utterly rubbish Kimki Arena is as a venue and location. It'll be pretty much packed out, you'd imagine, for that. So that's that's going to be a good atmosphere to to finish the round off. You've got Zanit away in Habarovsk. You know, how are they going to cope with the seven-hour time zone difference? You know, it's been a decade since teams have had to do that, since Luci Energia, Vladivostok were in the league. So that's going to be an interesting subplot. 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, you know, we're just talking about bias. I'm biased, but I do genuinely think Oral against Rostov will be fascinating because Rostov have undergone such monumental change, whereas Oral, although they're in the lower reaches of the league, they're relatively consistent. They've kept together most of their side. Um, and they generally start quite well at the beginning of the season. Um, last season against Ufa, the opening game, they looked like world beaters. Uh, and then you've got Rubin against Krasadar, who I think are going to be pretty much direct rivals for um, the Europa League places. I think they probably both will finish fourth and fifth, which order I'm not sure. Um, so there's loads to look forward to. Uh, I'll, I'll be out in your Katzenberg for Oral Rostov. Um, I'll do plenty of video previews for, for football grads. So guys, keep your eyes open for that. Um, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great, great opening weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. And mostly because I believe Oral will open with a win and be top of the table for <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tim, what stands out for you in this match day one? Obviously, the derby against Dinamo will be the one that you're going to watch. And then obviously the other derby to open the season. Um, but what else stands out for you? Well, I'm very lucky. You're absolutely right. For me, obviously, the first derby stands out like two derbies. But at the same time, I'm always very, very excited for the first match day of the season because you see the teams for the first time. Uh, maybe you haven't been paying all the attention to the very new team, to the lower teams, and you're getting familiar with teams like Tosna, Skakhabarovsk, with all the changes that has been happening at Rostov, Andrzej. It's very, very exciting to see all those teams uh, actually play and see, okay, who's actually playing football for those teams now and uh, which players came in, what are the new names. Uh, so it will be very exciting. I'm excited for Zenit to go to Skakhabarovsk, and it's going to be an interesting game. I'm, I'm really curious to see how they will cope with it, because really it's so many, seven or nine, nine-hour time difference from uh, St. Petersburg. So it, it's interesting when uh, Mancini will... Um, you know, we'll take the team there. The big game is obviously Rubin, Kazan, Krasnodar. I completely agree with Angry Rubin with Birdiv back and the, the lot of transfers they've done uh, from Rostov to Rubin. They will be a very, very interesting team uh, this this season. So Rubin Kazani against Krasnodar is right away a game, like crazy interesting game. So if you, if the listeners are really fans of Russian Football League, it's a very exciting match day and it's really pretty much every single game is exciting to watch. And um, But to summarize, the, the games to watch out is Spartak Dynamo and Rubin Kazan uh, FC Krasnodar. Well, for, for me, I'm I'm really curious to see Zenit travel to Habarovsk. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be... How big of a reality check is that going to be for Roberto Mancini? You know, he's they spend <laughs> a lot of money already. And I, I as we said, they will spend even more. And they've been in training camp. I believe they've been in Italy and they did some high mountain elevation training and all that kind of stuff. And now he's... Um, we all remember when we talked about Museo Lugesco in his first game in Russia and uh, the long face he made when he realized that this is a bit going to be a bit more difficult now Mangini gets there and he's used to Manchester City and he's used to Inter Milan and you know the the, the niceties that St. Petersburg have to offer as a world-class city and then you jump on a plane and you have to fly <laughs> nine hours across to Khabarovsk <laughs> onto the Chinese border and 
um, I, I think that's going to be very challenging for him and the side and, you know, the young Argentinians that they have when they squad now Paredes and Truizzi. I mean, we have an article on Truizzi on footballgrad.com by uh, our Argentine expert, Nicolas Miremont, and uh, he's, he seems like a really talented player. But boy, this is going to be quite a reality check for the side, I think. And um, I, I'm really curious to see how they're going to handle the travel. And uh, <laughs> the Sydney Twitter account has been in high fashion about it, uh, you know, sort of saying, like, this is how far you have to drive and... The maps, there is a map on, on, uh, on the football grad Twitter account, uh, that shows the distance. I mean, boys, this is, this is going to be, um, a clash of worlds in a way, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it just, I just wanted to, to, to mention that, and this is going to happen for the whole season because every other match day, somebody will have to travel to Skahabarsk and that always will be a conversation. Okay. How are they going to cope with everything? So this is what we have ahead of us for the whole season, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be fun, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, I I think I remember when uh, before I even came out to Russia, Lucha and were promoted. And I thought that is going to be so fun to follow a season of that. Um, but the thing, the point I'd make is, I think this is the best time for Zanit to play them. First game of the season, they've clearly got the superior squad. Um, Skakhabarovsk have not really managed to make a huge number of. Um, you know, top signings, and like you mentioned earlier, man, it's going to be difficult for them to attract those uh, those sort of players. You know, they're, they're finding their feet in the Premier League, and Zanita have had the whole summer to prepare for, well, not specifically this game, the whole season, but it is, you know, they're well-rested in theory. Um, so I think this is the best time to play them. When it's sort of middle of October, November, and you've had a grueling, you know, packed schedule that's going to be the worst time to play them maybe a few injuries have been picked up international duty and all that stuff so I actually think Zanit are lucky They've, this, this is the best time to play them uh, and I, I think Zanit will I think they will win in a comfortable tidy fashion um, I don't I don't see them conceding um, but I don't see them running away with it four or five nil either so I think I think it's ideal yeah playing them in November would be a nightmare you know <laughs> the Siberian winter in, in November playing there and uh, yeah, I could only imagine. So maybe you're right. Maybe this is a good time to play them. Uh, I want to talk about the other two promoted sides, Tim, real quick. Tosno and Dinamo. Where do you see them, um, finishing this season? How, how well do you think they are going to do? Maybe give a little prediction on how Skarka Borowska finishing off too. Uh, do you think any of the three sides can, uh, stay in the league? I'm pretty sure Dynamo will stay in the league. Uh, at the same time, it was slightly weird because the um, like one of their um, men, like one of their people who is like in charge, said the goal is to finish eighth or ninth place, and slightly odd for the, such a legendary club like Dynamo. But at the same time, from what I understand, they have some financial difficulties mm-hmm. and they can't really attract um, you know good class players, so they would have to deal with the, the players they have. But at the same time, I think their squad is strong enough. To keep the place in the um, in the RFPL for for the next season, uh, at this, but if you look at Skahabaros and Tosno, this is gonna be tough. I just looked when we were talking about Zenit at Ska squad, and I'm a big fan of Russian league. I recognized I think seven last names, 
and the rest of the players, I just have no idea who those people are. It just says that the, it just really shows like the the kind of the quality and the strength of, of the squad. I think they will have a very very tough time this season. Um, you know, all the best for them and good luck. But at the same time, just looking at the squad, it doesn't look uh, easy for them. Given also the travel, I don't know. They're probably used to it, uh, you know, because they, they had to do that in the previous season as well. Um, Tosno is a very exciting team. This is the first time in the history when St. Petersburg would have two teams in the top uh, Russian uh, flight. I'm very excited for Tosna. It's uh, it's another it's another you know St. Petersburg club for in the big city. It looks like they will be playing at the Petrovsky Stadium, which is like the old Zenitsa Arena. So there's some um, you know romantic uh, connection, and I have my personal um, personal connection to that club because the Spartak. I would call him a legend, uh, or like at least a very important player, uh, Dmitry Parfenov, who used to be our captain, like Spartak's captain. He is in charge. Uh, he is the the head coach right now, and also the uh, another Spartak striker, uh, Vladimir Bishasny. He is the assistant coach there so i will be it's, it will be a very uh, an interesting team uh, to follow um and uh, again like it just it just really gives like from the st petersburg point of view you have this massive massive big clubs in it with lots of money and then you have almost like a little local team uh, i'm not sure if it is um yeah i don't know what's the probably the parallel the comparison um uh, man i don't want to hmm. maybe Make an emo for you, like make a sad story for you, but maybe it's kind of like Munich, München, Achtzehn versus Bayern Munich situation, <laughs> um, with München Achtzehn being completely in their own <laughs> interesting situation. But I see, like that's really like the city could be divided in like a very local small team versus the big, big, big club. So it's an interesting, an interesting story, and I'm um, yeah excited to watch them. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, Andrew, what do you think? Real quick, how do you see the promoted sides doing? Well, to put it simply, I think, I think Tosno and, um, Skarhabarovsk are going to struggle a lot. And they, they are my favorites to go down, unfortunately. Um, I, I, I wish Tosno well, particularly because of how well, well, how quickly they've, they've grown and the structure they seem to have in place. So I think they have, the best chance of becoming a better established team in the Premier League, but I think they're going to struggle. So, I, I, unfortunately, I don't see them staying up. Dinamo, I have no doubt, will stay up. Um, and I think 8th or ninth is is actually a good target for them to aim for. Not just survive, but be relatively comfortable. There's no point trying to get dr- drawn into the temptation of, of qualifying for Europe because they're not ready for it. Um, you know, to, to compete in Europe, they'd have to sign more players. That would push them close to or over the financial fair play limit. And then we're back where we started with them, where they were two years ago. So um, Dynamo to stay up, Tosno and Skarhabaros to to go down. And I mean, if we're going to go for predictions, I would say Angie are possibly in trouble. Um, Arsenal Tula possibly as well. Um, even as a dark horse, Rostov, it depends how they gel, but there's every chance they could really flounder this year. So um but anyway, that's the promoted teams, Tosno and Skarhaboros to go down, unfortunately, for me. Yeah, I would I would go along with that. Although Skarhaboros maybe maybe because of the real wow. true home advantage that they have. I'm really curious to see how teams will, will cope with that. But whether that's going to be enough, we'll see. Now, the champions, uh, Tim, for me, <laughs> I'll ask you, even though I know the answer, who you think is going to win the title? <laughs> 
being very biased on this podcast, I think that Spartak Moscow will defend their to their to their title. Really? really? Uh, oh, it comes as a massive surprise, huh? Uh, but uh, to be quite honest I'm very very worried because Zenit is so strong this year so strong that the new coach with them being mad that they haven't won the league for three years I believe or something like that and they haven't been in Champions League I'm very worried they will be so strong and so good so it will be tough for us plus Rubin Kazan oh yeah, it will be an interesting league. But still, my prediction that we will defend the trophy and two years in a row, Spartak will be the champions of Russia. <laughs> why did I even ask? Andrew, what, 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 Andrew why what do you think? It was think? a bit pointless, I'll be honest. For, but, a bit, yeah. uh, for a little bit of less biased opinion, what do you think? <laughs> well, I'm not really going to help the situation here because I actually do think Spartak will be champions as well. But, um, but at I mean, least yeah, that's not a, a biased a... opinion. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's true, I suppose. But no, I mean, hey, generally, um, honestly speaking, then, if we look at those two, for me, it's fairly clear that it's going to be between Spartak and Zanit. But the thing for me is that um, whereas Zanit have, have brought in a, some decent players, you know, Paredes and Drusius, we mentioned, of course, um, not to mention the, the Rostov players, who I think will be very, very important in their season. Christian Naboro with set pieces, um, Dimitri Polos counter-attacking. They're all attacking players, though, and their defence is where I would be concerned because pretty much all they've got left is Luis Nieto, who... I, I, I don't know what it is about him. He irritates me. He shouldn't be a professional footballer. Um, <laughs> then Branislav Ivanovic, who I think is a very, very good signing for them, but he was used as a, a right-back under Luchescu, which I thought was very odd. Um, Ivanovic is a good centre-back, but then after that, his only realistic partners are going to be Ivan Novotseltsev, who clearly didn't have a lot of faith in him last season. And I know that was under Luchescu, a different manager, so perhaps... Uh, Mancini will favour him more, but you know he's he's not played consistently for Zenit since joining them. Uh, and other than that, Vukasin uh, Jovanovic is back. Well, no, is he going back to Bordeaux on loan? though? yeah, um, yeah. he might leave. So I mean, you know, he's, if it's no, if it's not him, it's really, really, you got no, three centre backs. They're also Krishita. Well, Krishita possibly, but he's really more of a left back, isn't he? So yeah. um, I mean, he has been played. I know he's been played at centre back. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I just I worry about their defence. Um, that's where I think, if anything, they're going to fall down. And and the other thing is, it's a neat. They're always liable to just implode in the most spectacular fashion. So um, I, I think it's going to be very close. And I could well be wrong, but I think it's going to be a Spartak, Zanit, and then Tiska top three for Champions League for me. Yeah, I think that's a really good bet. I'm curious. No one mentioned CSKA, but they haven't really done. And for me personally, they haven't really done anything in this transfer window that makes me think, oh yeah, you know. And uh, Goncharenko, I think what they're doing is they're they're trying to integrate as many young guys from their very good academy as they can. But I don't think that's going to be enough to challenge Spartak or Zenit. As for those two, I'm not sure about Mancini and this. This is, uh, this is going to take him some time, I think, to get used to this league. The, the new players that they signed that obviously have the quality. Will they get, will they be able to play in this league? This is, this is for me a big question mark. And, you know, they will get a very big reality check early on. The other thing is it's, it's going to be, and this is, this is a really curious one about the scheduling. We will get the results right away early on. We will be able to hit the ground running because this is such an early kickoff and, 
you know, we have basically four, five, six game match days even that you could consider as preseason games, but they count for points. So we'll see some really odd results and we'll see some really lopsided results maybe. And, um, this is almost where I want to mention Ruben Kazan because Bedeev is so good in getting his squads ready on the get go and. I wouldn't be surprised if we like four or five match days in and then all of a sudden Ruben are on top of the table and everyone else is scrambling, getting the act together. I mean, of course, Spartak have the big advantage that they haven't changed much to their squad, but they had a lot of players at the Confederations Cup. So I'm I'm throwing Ruben in there as well just because of Berdeev and because he might be the one who gets them ready and going the, the quickest. So really looking forward to this, guys. I think we're in for some, we're in for a treat. Um, the next time we're talking will be after this very long match day, four or five day long match day. And we'll maybe have a little bit of a better idea where we're at, but want to wrap it up here for now. Um, Tim, you Russia fest. I guess that's your major plug for this week, isn't it? It is, oh man, yeah, it's like the next weekend, and I've been doing so much work uh, just for the listeners. I'm organizing a local uh, punk rock festival with 12 bands playing this festival, and it's really going well, but it's so much work. After work, I come home and work for three, four hours just preparing everything. So this is where my attention, obviously after the after the, the football is, but uh, yeah, if you're in Vancouver, come to July 21st, 22nd at the Media Club. It's going to be great, so great. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to hear about that. I'm trying to see if I can make my way over. It would be awesome. Andrew, what do you have to plug this week? And obviously the Russian Football Premier League is back. Can we see any previews from you on footballgrad.com? Yeah, yeah, I'll be doing, um, I'll do plenty of previews there. I'll do, uh, well, I'll, I'll certainly be doing, um, some coverage each week on football grad um actually by the time this comes out i will have already been on but i'm in about two hours time given we're recording at what 8 p.m my time i'll be going on capital fm in moscow um on the phone um just for a few minutes but i'm going to talk about the super cup and stuff but i'm going to try and step up a bit of um russian media in the next few weeks that's my that's my plan yeah, fantastic stuff. Well, you can find this podcast and all the other podcasts that we do on our ACAST channel, the Football Grad Network. Wolf. We have Golazzo, of course. We have Gegen Pressing and we have this podcast. And all our written content, um, you can find that Football Grad Live. But we do live game coverage. Andrew already mentioned that as well. Bundesliga, Russian football, Ukrainian football. Liga MX Mexico that kicks off soon. So the Golazzo podcast is going to be recorded tomorrow. Big shout out to that. And, um, the pages that we do, footballgrad.com, footballstadt.com, footballsidage. There's tons of articles out there. The podcasts are, can be found there as well. Previews on all the leagues that, that we cover. Of course, Bundesliga is still a bit away, but Kamis signed yesterday for Bayern München. That's a tr- transfer that we closely covered and probably add some articles to it to even by the time this podcast comes out. So that's on foosballstadt.com. And you can follow me, Manuel Weff, at Manuel Weff. Uh, I do all sorts of things there. Mostly comment on transfers that never happen. Anyways, <laughs> that, uh, that it is from, that's right from us. Until next week, dos vidanje.
We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.